I think it's important just to point your compass towards joy. And play like you, be like you, and don't overthink it. This is the real stuff. This is what people should know about. Yeah, the, the trial and error of getting a camera to work and then and then after all of that, like let's say you go through different batteries dying, you know, your you, the ISO is wrong, the whatever is wrong, logic wasn't recording. And then you sit down and have to try and magically forget about it all and just talk to the camera as if you're the happiest person alive. It is so so much more difficult than anyone knows unless they're a creator. If someone's a creator, they fully get it that like just now, you and I are trying to start this podcast. I got up six times to adjust the exposure on the camera <laughs> and to move the light so that our skins were even, our skin tones were even close to matching for no reason. No one will ever <laughs> see this. This is just so we can have a conversation in an audio only format. But still, that's that's what we go through as creators. And I was just telling you yesterday when I was making my YouTube video, the whole thing was about creativity and being inspired to create. And there was a moment where I was like, I don't give an F about creativity. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. do this because I forgot to press record on one camera. Then I did a whole nother take. I felt like I crushed it, found out that one of the lenses was in manual focus. I was blurry the whole time. And it's one of those things where that's why people shoot with a crew, because it's so hard to keep yeah. track of all this stuff by yourself. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Like, I, I'm, I'm terrible for that. I, I'll actually like actively seek out something that, I'm I'm looking for something to be wrong, so I have to do it again. If that makes sense, yeah. Do you know no, what I mean? No, I, I'm, I'm like, there's got to be. It can't. It can't. It couldn't have gone well. Like, there's well, got to be one thing out there that I can do again. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> the there's something wrong with us. I know. I mate. really hope our listeners can I identify know. with our mental issues because, gadang. Yeah, it's true. But mate, moments of growth, mate. Do you know what I mean? Just, just figuring moments stuff out as you go, and and looking at yourself. In a video format, that's where you realize, oh, actually, yeah, I need to smile a bit more. I need to chill out. I need to turn the lights on a bit more. Flipping hell. When you I first started oh, making ahead. video content, my nose was about two centimeters from the camera. Flipping That's it, always the case with, that's how I know someone's a new creator. Because I'm like, dude, you're invading my space. <laughs> you're so close to the camera. You're invading. Or they're so paranoid of being too close that I'm like, you're a mile away. I cannot. <laughs> yeah, I can't make. Literally. I can't even see. Are those your eyes? Are those buttons glued on your forehead? I don't know what's happening. So the distance from the camera is actually when I do those classes for Adobe. That's one of the biggest things I teach is what is the proper distance to not invade someone's space through their computer or their phone or their tablet, but to also be close enough to them to make true contact with them. And it's, it's not an easy thing. You have to really get comfortable with it. You have to get comfortable with looking into a camera. The other thing that I was finding yesterday was, you know, I've been doing YouTube now for uh, a long time. So I think 14 years, 15 years, whatever it is. And I found that I'm trying to f find a new balance of energy because, yeah, you know, if you're, if you're yourself, it's just too boring. But then you go past that place that's just kind of silly and I realized like, okay, if there were no cameras, do I really smile that much when I play drums? Because I don't. I'm, I'm actually quite concentrated. Um, and I, I think maybe it was like, it might have been my teacher, Will, or someone at some point said, oh, man, I saw that video. Like, everything okay? Like, I noticed you weren't smiling a lot when you were, when you were playing. And I was like, well, I, don't, I actually don't smile that much. I mean, I don't. Yeah. 
I smile in moments. Like I'll hit something that's like gives me a little grin, but I'm not like, yeah, drumming. Woo. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so I, I kind of want to take that out of some of my video content because I, you know, I don't smile that much when I play. It's a it's yeah. a tough balance, man. When you're on camera, mate, it's a tough balance. It really is, mate. That was one of the things that I quickly discovered about recording video content and just speaking to the camera, like that fine line between, yeah, all right, I'm talking to the camera and I'm talking to people on their phones. Like, I need to be energetic. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, what, why for, mate, if you think I sound different on camera. That's the worst. And anyone listening will know exactly what I'm on about. You're already a little bit insecure. And then they scroll through Instagram. Your video comes up. You're sat next to them. And they say, you just sound so different in videos. You're, and you go, yes, I do. Uh, okay, I have you know. ever had this with Rona? Has Rona ever, because Amber all the time goes, why are you using your podcast voice? And I'm like, what? I'm going to use my podcast. Like, if I, if, if I go up to order, you know, at a restaurant and I say, all right, I think we'll have two sushi rolls. <laughs> one seared tuna and she's like what is wrong with you and i'm like i have no idea babe i'm so confused as a human right now i, I make know. videos i do podcasts i do live streams i don't know who i am anymore it's so <laughs> true mate it's so true very I, I, first world problems but still yeah oh ex exactly but yeah i think um the moments of of true growth mate it, it's so funny because they sit within everything every aspect of drumming every aspect of like creating content you've it's so funny. I was thinking about this podcast today and I was thinking like, there's two sides to it in my head. One of them being like, sometimes you can't really prepare for things that much. Yeah. Um, you just sort of, sort of got to do these things. And then there's another side of things where you can, you can really prepare. You can't prepare enough. And, and talking to the camera and making video content is one of those things where you've just got to do it. You've got to put these yeah. videos out. It be embarrassed and in, in in three weeks or three years, whatever it may be, but just get your flow sort of started. Cause there's no, mate, it's, it's like, I still watch videos back now and I'm like, Oh my God. Like, why was I so excited about a, a 5B drumstick? Do you know what I mean? I'm not that excited about a 5B drumstick. Why did I make a whole video about it? But that's, I mean, that's what content creation is, is just realizing that someone else right now is looking for, for sticks and it's their first time going, what's a five, a what's a five B man. I really look up to this guy, Eddie thrower. I wonder what kind of sticks he plays. And so that's what it's all about. And I think that that's one thing that we have to do as create. Oh boy. I was just in podcast voice. <laughs> and I think that's, I think that's one thing we have to do as creators is we have to stop making content for the people that don't watch us. We have to make yeah. content for the people that do watch us. I'm sorry. We're going to have to admit at some point, that it might only be a hundred people that watch your content. Well, why don't you make content for them? Cause they do watch you. They do support you. Stop making it for the hundred thousand that don't watch you. I understand growth and all of that, but to be honest, growth is really hard right now. If you're just starting out, it is not easy to build something up from scratch. And the only shot you have is consistency. You have to consistently upload. If you're trying to always get a hit single, you're going to have nothing but B-sides. But if yeah. you just write the things you love, you might have a hit single. Mate, just briefly, this kind, this is kind of off and on topic, but I saw a video with the, um, the I think I think he's like the CEO of Instagram. You know the guy I'm okay. on about? Glasses. Does he have glasses? Kind of, yep, that's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
and he was doing a podcast and he was talking about growth on Instagram and like what, where Instagram favors, favors growth and, and whatnot. And it's stories and DMs at the minute. How weird is that? Great. So he was saying like, literally the people that grow on Instagram right now are people who story all the time and DMs. He was like, they are the two most used features. I think DMs might have even been first. DM stories and then feed. Wow, that's crazy. crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts anyway. Anyway, it's slightly off topic, but I mean, no, I guess it's not. Moments it's, of growth, it could be. It's it's moments of growth media. and we're, we're going through it all the time. I think what is important though are those moments of clarity tied with growth where you just go, oh my gosh, I'm headed in the completely wrong direction. Now I'm going to change course or I'm going to headed in the completely right direction. I got to really double down, put my foot on the gas and do this thing. So let's get into it. Give me your first big moment of growth that you can think about. It could be negative or positive, but something that really sticks out in your past in your career. Um, I would say there's a there's a few things in this like episode that I wanted to talk about and bring up, but I think the first one for me um, would be removing the double bass pedal and getting to grips with linear fills with one foot. And I think this wow. is like. Oh, yeah, honestly, mate. I like, was not expecting that. <laughs> Let's go. Let's dive in. Come on. Because I've really failed. Like, truly, truly failed. So it was at the time, I, I would say, like, I don't know, man. I can't remember. But Instagram was like at its peak, I would say, regarding like my my interest for it. And I was just consuming drummers left, right, and center. And it's when linear drumming and the gospel world and the RB world really came into like my radar. And I really sure. It was when like I realized church and punk rock were like the same thing. Do you know what 100%. I mean? 100%. Who, who was that guy that you showed me videos of, of the first time I came to yours? And he's a church guy and he's like, um, he was running around the stage and he was like telling the band what to do with different oh, right, signals. Right. Ty Tribbett. Yeah. With oh, Spanky yeah. on drums. With George McCurdy I was trying drums. to find that video like the other day. And That's I called still, uh, I Still Have Joy by Ty Tribbett. Oh my god! Like boom, dab, dab, dab. Yeah, that's so, a shout. Yeah, yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. Oh but it my is god. Punk rock. Like it, yeah. it's the same tempo, same feel, but it, it's it, there are slight variations for sure. But yeah, it's very similar. If you know how to play punk, you can listen to shout music, up tempo shout music, and go like, oh my god, I could do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, so yeah, I I decided to <laughs> remove the double bass pedal and actually add a high tom. So I had two up one down one kick on a tour went in kind of blind i looking back i had a couple days and i was like i'm just gonna bring it on tour i'm just gonna see what happens and at that point i had been like mindlessly i wouldn't well now i wouldn't say practicing but mindlessly playing like one two three four and like one two three and kick kick uh right left sure those sort of combinations just just to get used to them and obviously it was in my practice room so i thought it sounded amazing and it felt amazing and I, I knew it and I, I, I had this. it down. I, yeah, I got this. I got this. Hold my beer. I've got this. Let's go play it in, in front of a couple thousand people. Anyway, I remember the first show and it wasn't a big, big tour, but I would say there was between like a thousand and three thousand people a night. Um, okay. That's a headlining. big enough tour. I honestly think that those sometimes are more for your psyche than 
20,000 people where you can't actually comprehend what's happening. A thousand, you can almost take all of it in and you yeah, feel you, it more. You can see the guy at the back. Yeah. Being like, why, why is he on his phone? You can see people talking shit, talking smack. Yeah, 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 yeah totally exactly. Can. They got a hand signaling. Do you want to go for a cigarette? You're mm. like, what? This is our biggest song. <laughs> this is our hit. Or it will be. <laughs> and um, I remember the first show. And I, mate, I, I remember the kit feeling alien. And then all, because I relied on that double bass pedal to get me out of trouble right. like all the time. The kit felt alien. And then I, I was going for these feels that I, I thought I quote unquote practiced. Um, before the tour and I was just like fumbling like really truly wow truly mucking up and being like whoa <laughs> like I like I've been I've been playing drums whoa. my whole life I thought I had this stuff down these are songs that I've been playing my whole life um, and there were there were new songs but still like I've been yeah. I had them in the bank for like a year and I'm like literally coming out of fields and not nailing the one like Wow. you know no one in the audience will really know but like my drum tech would be like you okay yeah. <laughs> slow down um, on the alcohol now and I, rem- I was gonna ask yeah, go is on. there also like a feeling of i don't want to say weak physical weakness but i gotta assume if you're doing right left kick kick and that kick is right foot then left foot there's so much power to that and then right left kick kick with only a single foot that second note doesn't have the power that you're used to. So it probably even sounds and feels less like full and less powerful, really. Yeah. Mate, I felt like, I felt drunk, like wobbly. Yeah, um, I could totally And it was that. coming out. It was like, everyone can relate to what I'm saying. When you're in those sort of like improv- improvising linear feels where you don't really know what's going on. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just happening, right? We'll you, may str- <laughs> you may strut gold, strike gold even, and be like, <laughs> Eric Moore, who? Do you know what I mean? I am I am the king of this. Ugh. And then when it comes to landing the one, you just go and you just you just fail. <laughs> yeah. And it was coming out of those fields that I was like, all right, cool, man. I, I'm not ready for this. So anyway, I remember the next day, and it was amazing because tour's very boring, as you know. I had a kick pedal that I could sort of like a practice pad for the kick and one for the hands, obviously. And I sat there and I practiced for hours like just going right left kick kick right left kick kick and then figuring out combinations that i could come out of with my hands um to play it safe so like kick kick one two three four or whatever it may be sure um and yeah i i was consistent with practice and by the end of the tour it felt kind of more natural but that was the moment for me where i realized it the the six pack doesn't come from not working out (sighs) Do you know what I mean? One hundred percent. It does, and and just like with drumming, it does until you're a specific age, and now it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, the cheeseburgers and the soda, it's not going to work anymore. Like you can't, your metabolism can't skate through this. And there's a part of drumming where it's the same thing. You can kind of skate through everything. You've got some natural talent. Everything works out for you. You try random fashion statements, and somehow it always looks good. And then you're forty. And it's like, <laughs> dad, what are you wearing? <laughs> and you're yeah. like, dude, I'm the guy that gets away with everything. It's like, no, you don't. Now you have to put into effort, put effort into everything. And I think there's a moment in drumming like that too. And I'm really, really stoked for you that you are proud of you for not going, this isn't working. Go get me my double bass pedal. Let me go back to what's safe and easy. It's like, yeah. Uh, and I think like you I just got you got to buckle down and do it. It was just like constantly looking at people, people like Eric Moore and, uh, you know, 
just being like, oh my God, man, like he's not even using a double bass pedal. And like I, what I loved about linear and still do, mate, is like when you're when you're improvising and they chuck in a little hi-hat here or there. Yeah, stab. And you're, oh, you're just, oh my God, it's so nice. And for <laughs> someone who used a double bass pedal, you know that you can't do that if you got if you're using a double bass pedal. Totally. So I was like, nah, I want to do this. Like, yeah. and I've got nothing else to do. And actually going back, I, I said I practiced for hours every day. It wasn't, but it was like consistent practice time that just got me better. And it was, it was kind of like a, all right, Eddie, look, there's no, there's no shortcuts to this, mate. You got, you got to practice. But don't you think that now looking back on it, that's what we're all always looking for is like, just give me a focus that is tied to a weakness and an obsession. I have so many weaknesses that I could go in the room right now and practice on, but they're not yeah. tied to an obsession. I actually don't mind that they're a weakness or I just don't care about where it's going to lead. But when you have something like that, where you go like, I want this so bad mm-hmm. and I'm bad at it. That's the dream because then practice hours fly by. It's not yeah. homework. It's nothing. It's it, everyone keeps telling you to stop practicing. And you're like, I can't just give me one more hour, please. Like that's always my dream is finding that thing that I'm not very good at, but I'm so desperate to be good at it because then I know exactly what to do. And it takes the guesswork out of practice. And I think there's a lot to be said for these. I've said it a million times in this podcast, man, but like these chops, these like show off feels, like they made me so much better at the drums because it was like literally just dangling a carrot in front of my face the whole time, wanting wanting to be able to sit, do what I saw on Instagram and yeah, so that that was a true moment of growth, and also like a realization that yeah, you, you know, you you don't lose the belly without exercise. You've you just got to put in the work, mate. You just have yeah, to every time. Um, yeah. How about you? Well, I'll I have I have one that's more of a negative, so I'll save that for later. But one that's very similar to yours, but it was imposed by my teacher. So Simon says was going out on our first um, major label tour. So. We had done tons of shows. We had done minor tours on our own, but we had never been like where you get a bus and you're you're out on the road with another band. And it was our very first tour. It was a really big deal for us. It was, from what I remember, we did like a short European tour with Filter. Um, and that was like a favor from our, I think our lawyer was also the lawyer for Filter. And so she had made something happen there. But this was... Um, it was we were taking Kid Rock's spot on the stained Limp Biscuit tour. So this is our first big right. tour. Mm-hmm. And I had a private teacher at the time. <clears throat> and I would say that this teacher, his name is Pete Magadini. He was probably my first m- real like, okay, I'm done with drum lessons. Now I want Yoda. I want Yoda to take over like my future, where you're basically giving this person ever control over your drumming. And so he said, okay. I know you're getting ready to go out on the road, but the truth is you've got too much gear and you can't play most of it. And it was, it was like a hard slap in the face. He's like, if you can't play kick, snare and hats like a pro, what is adding toms and splash cymbals and China's going to do? It's like, you're covering up the real problem, which is timing, feel, touch, placement and intention. And so uh, he said, you know, I want you to go out with, no toms and just kick snare and hats. And I was like, I, I can't, it's a tour. But what I did do is I went out with, I think maybe I did have a floor Tom 
because I just I couldn't play the parts without it. But I just had a crash, a ride, hi-hat, snare, and a floor tom and kick. So no up toms. I usually had two floor toms at the time. I had chinas for sure, and I had crashes everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, so that was like this thing of really, really falling in love with kick, snare, and hats every single day, trying to make things matter, trying to like almost make every single note count. And I definitely didn't get it at the time. I wish I could say at the time I was like, oh, this is such a great realization. And Pete's figured out at the time I was like, this is so dumb. This makes no sense. Give me all my cool gear back. Let me, you know, I'd I'd look at the other drummers and think, oh, they got, they have so much gear. Like the guy from Limp Bizkit's got like nine toms up top and OCDP snares and everything. Uh, 27 inch deep kick drum and yeah. I didn't and, and to me it wasn't cool like I looked broke <laughs> I looked like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't him I wasn't I at that place it. yet I looked like the opener you know the opening drummer so anyways long story short much much later I looked back on that as one of those times that I really learned how to make do with what I had every time since then every time that there's been a problem with gear or, Hey, I'm so sorry. Your shipment didn't come in. Can you use this set of hi hats instead? Like, yeah, of course. What? I mean, there's really nothing gear wise that can throw me off my game anymore Mm -hmm. because of that time. So the growth there was massive. The other part of the growth that was massive was the appreciation for bringing in a second crash. I cared about it. I didn't take it for granted whatsoever. The appreciation for having a rack Tom, I was like, okay, well, I don't even need this anymore. So if I'm going to go up to this Tom, it really needs to serve a purpose. And then there became like such a big melody thing that I could do between high Tom and low Tom because I hadn't even had a high Tom for so long. So that was, you know, and I went from I had a 16 floor uh, on tour. And so, of course, the Tom had to be a 10. So I could have, you know, it was like 10 and 16, 10. Taylor Hawkins with Alanis Morissette dead flat. It was a table like nice. you could put a marble on my rack, Tom, and it would stay dead center in the middle. <laughs> it would not go anywhere. Um, and so uh, 10 by seven, you know, nice and short so that Love you can it. put it as low as you want. Uh, and and yeah, I just I, I think that when I look back on things, that was one of those big, big moments of growth that really made me care so much more about the kit. Um, even setting up the drum set is one thing I think people take for granted. I, I see so many students that when I see their kit, I ask them like, when was the last time you tore your kit down? They're like, Oh, it's God, it's been over a decade. So their kit has been exactly the same forever. And it's like, man, you need to reset up your kit at least once a month and start from scratch just to see like, could something be more efficient for you? Why do you play with your snare angled towards you like that or angled away from you why do you play with your hi-hat so high is it a technique issue Mm -hmm. look at some of your favorite players and maybe the way that we copy people's drum parts and things like that try to copy somebody's setup find one of the greatest drummers on the planet that you really love and just try to set your whatever parts you have that they have try to set that up the same as them and you'll learn a lot i mean i've my setup changes every time i do one of these camps with either you or Mark or Ash, and I'm playing on someone else's setup, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. like, oh man, I haven't done that in a while. Or my ride is really close. Let me move it away. Or it's really low, you know, playing yeah, on yeah. Mark Juliana's jazz setup, obviously influenced the way that I set up my kit and even tune my kit to this day. Yeah, I know. Mate, I, some of his videos are crazy. The tunings he has, mate. <laughs> he is. He's kind of I've a ne- 
I've never seen him like I've never seen him play, but I've, I've heard he, him. I don't even know if you want to, because it'll ruin your life. It's yeah, he's he, he's a, he's amazing. He's a, <laughs> and the the problem, the biggest problem with Mark, I think, is the fact that he's so normal. Because if at least if he was batshit crazy, you could be like, okay, it makes sense. It totally yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah. The guy's not all there. I don't have to worry about being that good ever because he's not even normal. But yeah, he's yeah, so okay. normal. And then you're like, oh, so are you telling me it was just practice? And he's like, yeah, of course. What else <laughs> would it be? And I'm like, damn it. That's nope. not what you want to hear. No, you want to hear <laughs> they've got good genetics and they, and they never go to the gym. Do you know what I mean? I want to hear the go, Spider-Man story. Like I got I've bit, got good genetics. Yeah, I got bit by a cricket and it turned me into a pro drummer. And it's like, that's fantastic. Love it. So but at least I don't have to so, worry about it. So true. Um, All right. Give me another one. So what was your, what was your negative one? Okay. So the negative one was definitely the most life altering, life changing thing that I went through, which is now we flat. So that was the beginning of touring with my band. Now flash forward to the very end. It was quitting my band improperly. I thought I, I got it all wrong. To be totally honest, I, I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I saw the world as like gigs and sessions and pro pro musicians that float from band to band and do whatever they want. And that's how I thought my band. I That's how I saw myself. But I didn't really take into consideration the brotherhood that a rock band is. And so when I quit my band, I thought like, OK, well, I'm going to do the responsible thing. I'm going to call Peisty, who I was signed with at the time. I'm going to get a couple drummers that could slide into this slot of like, dude, it's a touring signed band. You don't, all you have to do is just be good and have the right yeah. look. You're going to be fine. Um, so I, I got like three drummers ready to go for the guys. I knew I was going to quit because I just wanted to teach. I mean, that it was a combination of my dad being sick. So I kind of wanted just to go home and spend time with mm-hmm. him, but it, it wasn't just that. I don't want to put it on that. It was that tied to like, but I'm not happy doing this thing this thing that is everyone else's dream for me is not bringing me joy. I'm going to go teach. So anyways, um, I quit the band, gave them my kind of my notice. We were on tour. I said, okay, at the end of this tour, that'll be the end. And then it just turned really ugly. Uh, We still had like six shows left. And so every show I was on an Island, bro. I mean, I, it wouldn't have even mattered if fireworks went off behind the guys. They were not going to turn around and look at me at any point. In time. <laughs> oh no, it was rough. And, <laughs> and I didn't understand it. I, I was like, what is the deal? I've got you guys drummers lined up. I've given you plenty of notice. We have a six week break after this tour. Nothing's mm-hmm. wrong. And, and in their minds, they're like, dude, you, you're quitting our family. You're not quitting the band. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't see it. So basically the, the growing part was on the very last night, it turned into a really ugly fight. And basically I just decided, decided I don't need this. And I burned every bridge and said horrible things and did and acted in a horrible way, knowing like, I'm just going to fly home and start my new amazing life as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Dude, it's been 20 something years of still picking up pieces from the amount of friendships that I ruined in that moment. Really? I, oh, everything. Because I didn't realize that every friend I had at the time was because of that band. Yeah, so I yeah, came yeah. home and I just thought, I'll call this producer. I'll call this tour manager. I'll call all my contacts. And they were like, what? No, dude. Like, we heard that you, <laughs> we heard that you're a bad person. 
I was like, oh, yeah, it was God. pretty rough. And I was 24, wow. 20, 23 at the time. So to right, me, yeah. it's like, let's go. It's time to start my new career. It's time mm-hmm. to start my life. And I didn't realize that I self-destructed the whole thing. So when we talked about, you know, resetting the chessboard, this was one where I was calling all the people that I had planned on. Okay. When I leave this situation, this is my crew. These are the people that are going to help me get into the studio scene in LA and do They were like, no dude, like you were mean to people that we love. And yeah, it was, it was bad. And so it was decades of, and even now when I, you know, when you start to see red a little bit in a, in a situation with somebody, yeah, I, yeah. I still think back to that time and think like nothing good came from me being a dick. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah. was no moment where I was like, hell yeah, I'm so proud of myself that I stood up for it's like, no, you were you were just a jerk. You you weren't mm. a nice person. And so I'm still trying to get back to a, or get to a place of kindness, acceptance, um, understanding, empathy, trying to yeah, see no. everything from like, OK. Even if somebody cuts me off in traffic, just spending one second to be like, what's going on in their world? Mm-hmm. What yeah, are they I'm late not. for? And it's so hard. It's so easy to be like, screw you, screw this. I'm the center of the universe. But yeah. that's not the case. And it's not a good way to live. So I would it, say quitting my band improperly is still teaching me life lessons every day. Yeah, man. I mean, I can only, I, I can kind of like relate in some ways because like, you must have felt trapped and like, I think, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you're doing mu- like music like that and you're touring in a band, you know, like you said, you're living ev- a lot of people's dreams and, and all you're hearing from people was like, you must be the happiest, most successful right. person in the world. Like how dare you leave this sort of thing? And I guess that's why it turned into, you know what? F you and F you and F you because you're, you were probably sick of having to explain yourself the whole time, but you made it subconsciously easier for them to let you go. So you were a dick. I think a lot of that is true. I think it was, I'm going to self-destruct this situation because it's so hard to face the fact that like to, to say what I should have said, which is guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I promised that this was going to be our life. And I, Honestly, I'm just not happy. Like, I, mm. I just don't want to do this. Like, I'm so sorry. Because um, I look back for all the excuses of like, well, you know, we be, we grew in a very different. I mean, obviously, we started off as a straight edge band. And then eventually we weren't a straight edge band, but I was. So I was by myself a lot. I was, yeah, it was me yeah. on a bus with a practice pad while my band was out partying. And I wasn't like mad at them for doing that. It was just lonely. Yeah. So it's like, I'm not having any fun whatsoever. And then the musician inside me, especially growing up in the jazz scene in California and and growing up in the gigging scene, all I'm seeing is my buddies constantly still practicing eight hours a day, which I couldn't do because I was on the road, but they're getting like improvisational gigs and they're getting, you know, like they're playing one-offs with cool musicians and I'm Mm -hmm. just playing the same, keep in mind, we're an opener. I'm playing the same six songs every night, not the same 12 songs. You know what I mean? We got a 30 minute set. (laughs) So I'm, I'm, I was pretty bored as a creative, but I didn't, I guess the, the biggest learning thing is I didn't understand any of it. All I was, was a ball of frustration. So I lashed out and I'm still learning from that to this day to the point now 
that the lads are back on a text chain. We're all texting each other because um, we've got uh, Hollywood Records has decided to re-release our two albums on That's Spotify it. and Apple Music. I can't wait to hear it, mate. I can't oh. wait to give it a spin. I can't wait either. I haven't heard the real <laughs> quality. I mean, I've been ripping it from <laughs> from Kazaa and LimeWire from some <laughs> from a long time ago, but I haven't heard the real quality since we were actually, you know, in the studio mixing it. So Ben Gross we- mixed it, and it's it's on uh, the second album. Shut your breath is an amazing album because, at least to me, not not playing wise or anything like that. But this is before people were heavily using samples, but they were chasing. You would hear a, like a drum sound on a CD and be like, let's go for that snare sound. And you were chasing it in an analog way. And so I'm really proud of the way those drums sound. And I I can't wait to hear it. Would you do a reunion show? Uh, So, yeah. So honestly, so my singer came and said, Hey, can, can I come by the studio? Like we need to talk. And this is before I had any idea what was going on. And he was like, okay, there's like, a little bit of a new metal resurgence. We were part of that scene. There's people reaching out. Our label finally reached out Hollywood records and said, look, this is happening and, and we need to release your music, all this stuff. And he was like, I just need to know what you would be okay with. He knows what kind of life I have now. And I was like, dude, I'm so down for a one-off show or a couple shows, but just like with even clinic tours, I, Right around a week is where I, I can't go any longer than that. Um, yeah. You know, I get offered clinic tours in Asia that are 30 days long all the time. And it's like, dude, I just can't do it. I, I can't mm. take that kind of time away from Mike'sLessons.com. So, um, so yeah, I would do a show, but here's here's where I'm at with it. You saw the, the little reel I put out, right? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Okay. That's us in our 20s looking trim and playing <laughs> to thousands of people. And it's 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 like that's what's in people's mind. You sure you guys want to see the fifty-year-old version of us to six think, people at a bar? Like I, I don't know. I think they. I think a lot of people would, mate. It's funny you say that because I, I've been seeing like videos of Newfound Glory, okay, um, like Bowling for Suit, like all these sort of like ninety skater bands right. coming back round, and people people love it, mate. I think it's kind of expected, like. <laughs> like uh what's the word nostalgia i guess and and memories they kind of get in the way and at first you're like that's not them oh yeah that was 30 years ago right there has to be some reality yeah there has i mean the other thing if you sound good and play good mate i think people will love it well that's the problem i think i'm the (laughs) only one that's played my instrument this whole time so i i told the guys i said look rehearsal 100 percent. count me in a couple gigs for sure but I, I just don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to mess with anybody's expectations if they're like, okay, well, look, we're going to call up Trapped and Chevelle and we're going to do a little, <laughs> little run. <laughs> like I don't, I just can't do it. I don't yeah, have the time yeah, yeah. to do it. So, but the most important thing for me is just getting the music out there. I was very proud of, especially that second album. It was the most Simon Says thing we ever did. The first album was very Hollywood records. It was very influenced by other people trying to make us have hits and and it just wasn't really us. Um, but the second album was, and so yeah, I'm excited for it to, to be out there. So now Sick. give me your final moment of growth. Um, so I was trying to summarize this in a way that like didn't last 15 million hours, but I, I've said it on the podcast before, actually the one we did uh, about the minor drum festival mm. with Mike. But for me, mate, I think, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's two areas of like drumming for me. There's 
things that you can prepare for. So studio sessions, um, lessons, for example, um, getting better at the drums. You can practice. You can practice some linear. You can, yeah, exactly. You can practice some linear fields before you play them in front of 3,000 people and fail. Um, there's a lot of things you can prepare for, but there's also a lot of things that you don't know what you're preparing for. And for me, that was more the things that required me to be confident in myself and what I'm bringing to the table. And that was things like what I'm doing tomorrow, which is teaching you at the Freddie G little drum camp oh, yeah, yeah. here, which is like, you're teaching like 20, 30 people at a time, four times a day, like areas like that. And even things like podcasts. And I guess things where it's like, you have to be you and talk about your experience and be confident in knowing that it's going to help someone. So yeah, like drum, drum masterclasses, clinics, um, it, anything where it kind of involves a bit of public speaking, I think. I think like you can you can prepare all you want. But I remember the first couple masterclasses or clinics that I did um, or like chats in colleges and whatnot. Like y- you, you never know what those feelings are going to, hit you like like you may you may be excited you may be tired you may be nervous there might be a, a great group of people in there that make you feel really really relaxed but i did that evans thing like a live masterclass a couple yeah. of weeks ago but i've never been so relaxed talking to the camera and there was like a hundred odd people watching wow normally my heart rate would be going through the roof and whatnot but i think um yeah th- those areas of like true growth is, is is just one putting yourself out there and just being like you know what I'm going to do things that make me feel uncomfortable and I'm uh and I'm going to stand here or you know talk about my experiences of ha- and how they've helped me and and th- th- I've I've grown as a person I would say and I've figured more stuff out about myself and about situations and about my playing and how I learn how others learn in moments that absolutely terrify you for example so i uh i would say that yeah true moments of growth are just from chucking yourself in at the deep end sometimes you know yeah and um sometimes you you know what you're preparing for like a deep end can be a last minute show you get the songs like prepare learn those tracks if you go to a session and you get the music like prepare you know don't be an idiot like know the music like the back of your hand things might change on the day but at least you know the song structure but doing a, a, a group masterclass or yeah the interview. freddie g thing's a great example because you can't you can't go in there deciding this is what they're going to learn because they are the variable you get there and realize like oh well last time i was here these guys were super advanced but this group is really really kind of more on the beginner side so that thing i was going to teach about advanced polyrhythms probably a bad idea so you yeah, have exactly. to be in the moment and say like okay I don't, how do I find the balance of, I don't want you guys to think that I didn't prepare. I am prepared, but yeah. I also need to tailor this for you guys. So I'm going to ask you like, I, I mean, for me, that's usually like a playing situation where I'll have, if I can, everyone, or in the case of 21 drums where there's, you know, probably closer to the size of groups you're teaching, I can't bring everyone up, but I might just randomly bring up like six or seven people to say, okay, let me hear you play a groove followed by a fill. One bar of groove, one bar of fill. Four times in a row, stop on the downbeat of one. And then I just can get a sense of who am I dealing with? Like, yeah, man. do I have a bunch exactly. of weckles here? Or do I have people that are, you know, maybe one or two years into this journey and they just love the drums and they can afford this camp? And it's like, dude, that's cool. I just need to know who I'm dealing with. So that is, I mean, camps are like 
camps like that or like 21 drums where I'm not calling it advanced. I'm not calling it beginner. Yeah. I'm just showing up. You, you, you saw that this camp was happening. Freddie G's putting it on. You guys trust him. You paid for it. You're here. And so, yeah, I, I do agree that throwing yourself into the deep end of situations that you don't have much control over is one of the best ways you can grow. Mate, they are, man. I th- and I think truly like a lot of drummers listening, like avoid them. Do you know, I, I know they do. Like a lot of like guys 100%. who play in huge bands think they're the worst drummers in the world and they don't do master classes. They don't teach at things because they think they're like not good enough or they don't think they have anything to bring to the table. And that's what I mean. I think it's like two of my biggest fears. The, the, one of them is what you said, them thinking I'm just not prepared whatsoever. Right. Um, and then second of all, them just not enjoying it or thinking it's good. I think that's everyone's like imposter sure. syndrome and anxiety is like, dude, hopefully they're enjoying it. When I do I mean? group camps, well, when I did the one with AJ, there's nothing better, but also horrible about seeing people come out of someone else's class and they're like, yeah, oh, mind blowing, mind that's, blowing. I'm like, damn it. That's literally what's happening. <laughs> There's no tomorrow. way they left my class saying mind blowing. <laughs> they were like, that was cool. Yeah. You get tea? <laughs> exactly. And it, like I'm going through, I've been planning it like for the last couple of weeks in my head. Right. And, and, and after this podcast, I'm going to be sitting here being like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. Right. But like you said, they all might be incredible or they might have just started playing the drum. So what about when you came here and you were like, all right, I'm going to teach this thing on your very first day, very first drum camp. And within five minutes, they were like, cool, we got it. And you were like, yeah, well, that was the whole lesson. Well, okay, cool. I will right, we'll go get lunch. <laughs> like, what do you want me to do? Totally. And it's one of those things like, you can't really, like I said, you can prepare, you can prepare the lesson, but you can't fully understand what's going to happen until you just get in there and do it yeah. and figure it out, you know? So, and I think that relates um, to gigs too. I think people need oh, yeah. to take gigs that they're not comfortable with. And somebody says like, dude, can you just cover me for this blues gig? And it's, and you know, in your heart, you don't play blues, but just say yes. Like, yes, you can. Yeah, You're going to get them through the gig, but you're going to learn so much from it. The, and that's what most pro drummers all have in their past is like we all at some point learned a James Brown groove because we filled in for a gig that we weren't ready for. And at some point we learned come together by the Beatles because we said yes to a cover gig. And we were like, who the hell is this Ringo Starr guy? Like, I can't play any of these parts. This is really hard. I thought the Beatles were easy. And so we all have that common thing that we've been through. And I think as far as for those of you listening Moments of growth, you know, the lessons you can learn from this episode. One, chuck yourself into the deep end. Two, don't be a dick. It might take you two decades to undo your jerkness. <laughs> Three, change up your gear. Get rid of the double pedal. Throw some toms in the in the in the closet for a few days. Set your kit up differently. But most importantly, I think what I've Practice. learned from this episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What I've learned from this episode, though, is just be willing to improvise life because sometimes you just have to make do with whatever's there. Yeah, exactly, mate. Exactly, man. I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of people listening who would have have either avoided situations, whether it is teaching, you know, down their local school or whatever, or they've turned down a last minute gig because they don't think they can do it. And trust me, man, whether you're like a pro or you're, you've just started out, whether you've played in front of 50 or 500 people, like we all think the same the only difference between anyone and everyone is whether they say yes or no oh and with that (laughs) episode 135 is in the can 
There we go. Bang, bang. See you next week. See you next week, people. (laughs)